0: Barnet Healthy Heritage Walks Welcome to Barnet Healthy Heritage Walks. These walks are designed to provide a gentle stroll of around 5 to 10 kilometres or 3 to 6 miles, approximately 5,000 to 10,000 steps, taking in a few buildings and sites of interest, and where possible, using green spaces and footpaths. Golders Green and Hampstead Garden Suburb This circular walk is in and around Hampstead Garden Suburb and Golders Green starting and ending at Golders Green Tube and Bus Station. There are 20 points of heritage on the walk and it is approximately 55 a half kilometres, or 3.4 miles with a couple of optional detours. To set the scene we suggest you begin your tour close to the Tube and Bus Station on the grassy area behind the station, cafe and shops, looking onto Finchley Road. In front of you will be a semi-circular area with bus stop GW used by the local H2 and H3 services. You can reach Golders Green station by tube via the Edgware branch of the Northern Line or by a number of bus routes. For full public transport details, please visit the Transport for London website Before you set off on the walk, there are a number of cafes and newsagents near the front exit of Golders Green tube station, where you can find refreshments. Audio Tour Part 1 – Golders Green The modern expansion of Golders Green was stimulated by the arrival of the Charing Cross, Euston and Hampstead, CCEH, Underground Railway in 1907. In fact, Golders Green is said to be the first suburb in the world to have been developed as a direct result of the arrival of an underground railway line. Bus, coach, taxi and other public transport services helped make Golders Green one of North London's principal transport hubs. The green fields and mostly agricultural settlements that characterised the area began a rapid transformation into the metropolitan suburb we see today. London's convenient affordable integrated public transport network became the backbone for suburban development as a rapidly growing population moved out from overcrowded often unhealthy inner city areas into semi-detached and detached homes with gardens. Later becoming the Northern Line's Edgware Branch after the CCEH combined with the City and South London Railway today the Bank Branch the bridge on your right carried rail lines over Finchley Road towards Edgware from the 1920s. Plans to further extend towards Bushy Heath were halted by the outbreak of the Second World War. The semicircular road in front of you enabled trolleybuses to turn around to travel back along the Finchley Road. London's electric-powered trolleybuses were in service until the early 1960s, apparently. Conductors would attract late-arriving passengers in central London with a cheery cry of Any more for the cornfields? before setting off for this green outer suburb. A tram service to Finchley began in 1910. Looking to your left, behind the roof of the station's cafe and shops, notice the four-faced clock on the war memorial standing at the intersection of Golders Green's principal road arteries. Finchley Road north to south constructed in the 1820s, Golders Green Road, north-west towards Hendon, and North End Road, east towards Hampstead. More about this local landmark are at the end of our audio tour. To the right of the War Memorial, on a shop that now has a truncated triangular shaped roof front, you may see in decorative plasterwork script the letters E, O and W. This indicates the former site of the Golders Green branch of local developer and estate agent Ernst Owers and Williams. Note 2. The cosmopolitan variety of local restaurants and shops, from Jewish, Japanese, Korean, Persian, Indian and Chinese, to Lebanese, American, Polish and Italian. Turn right and walk north along Finchley Road under the rail bridge. On your left, you are passing the refectory, a bar and casual drinking venue opened in 1916 that was said to be the country's first restaurant with a fully electric kitchen. In the 1960s, it was a venue where, as yet unknown, rock legends Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton played some of their early gigs. On your right is the station's rear exit and bus interchange, opened in 1911, now no longer in use. Continue to listen to Audio Tour Part 2 on your way, pausing at the junction with Rotherwick Road. Audio Tour Part 2, Architecture. Pause by the gateway into the Northern Line's engineering depot and train sightings on your right, Golders Green Train Care Centre. Plentiful availability of undeveloped land for railway facilities was an important factor in CCEH's decision as a private company, to invest in costly tunnelling beyond Hampstead through to this side of the Northern Heights. More about these hills during the walk. Look across Finchley Road to your left on the Golders Green side. Note the style of architecture of these relatively large suburban family houses built in the interwar period. In many cases, there have been miscellaneous additions such as loft conversions... In the late 20th and 21st centuries. Look to your right along Rotherwick Road into Hampstead Garden Suburb. Note its more controlled harmonious natural style that characterizes one of the Borough of Barnet's most beautiful conservation areas. Hampstead Garden Suburb is now regarded as an internationally significant contribution to town planning. Do you see the semicircular brickwork laid into the pavement as a kind of welcoming gateway? We shall explore more of the suburb later on this walk. Continue along Finchley Road towards the traffic lights. When safe to do so, cross Finchley Road using the pedestrian refuge island and continue on across Hoop Plain in front of you. Then turn left down the gentle slope along Hoop Lane. Now pause the audio tour until you reach 31 and a half Hoop Lane the Unitarian Church to your right. Audio Tour Part 3 Unitarian Church Completed in 1925, this Grade 2 listed building is the place of worship and communal centre for a congregation dedicated to freedom and inquiry that advances social justice, animal rights and supports good causes. Golders Green Unitarians are a welcoming community tracing their international roots to the open-minded dissenting Christians of the 17th and 18th centuries while striving to reflect the diversity of values and beliefs in Britain today. In the 1860s Unitarians appointed the first female minister anywhere in the world and in 1904 appointed such a woman in Britain. Notable British Unitarians include writer and social campaigner Elizabeth Gaskell Chemist and political theorist Joseph Priestley, 1930s Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain, pioneering nurse Florence Nightingale, and inventor of the World Wide Web, Sir Tim Berners-Lee. Notable artwork includes a memorial mural by Ivan Hitchens. Check the church's website for opening hours. Now retrace your steps back up Hoop Lane towards Finchley Road. On your left, the last white building before the junction, now Central Hotel, is notable as the first new house built in Golders Green shortly before the arrival of the Underground Railway. Turn left along Finchley Road and cross carefully at the pedestrian refuge island to the other side of the road. Walk to your right along the other side of Finchley Road towards the tube station to St Edward the Confessor Church on your left. Pause the audio tour until you reach St Edward the Confessor Church. Audio Tour Part 4 St Edward the Confessor Church. The next religious community we encounter is Roman Catholic. The congregation comes from many cultural, national, and ethnic backgrounds, which shows the diversity of people living and working in the area today. The church is named after the Saxon king whose death in 1066. ...triggered the Norman invasion of England, a very pious Catholic, Confessor Edward enlarged Westminster Abbey, later rebuilt in the 13th to 14th centuries in Gothic style, where his shrine is found today. He is venerated as a saint, making the Abbey an important site of pilgrimage until the 16th century Reformation created the Protestant Church of England. The parish was created by the Diocese of Westminster in 1909 to serve the rapidly growing communities in Golders Green and Hampstead Garden suburb. Fundraising was slow, but the building went up between 1915 and 1931 in the revivalist style of medieval perpendicular Gothic. Remodelling took place in 1960 and 1996. Its interior includes several notable works of art and statues of ten English saints including Alban, Thomas More, Margaret Clitheroe and Thomas Beckett. There is a memorial to the local resident Lieutenant Acting Captain Michael Almond, who was awarded the Victoria Cross for gallantry during the Second World War. The Catholic congregation has grown considerably while being subjected various times to political decisions affecting comings and goings of citizens from Eastern Europe, Ireland, Sub-Saharan Africa or East Asia for example. Please visit the church website for details of opening times of services and events. Continue back along Finchley Road and cross Hoop Lane again at the junction and then turn left up Hoop Lane towards the crematorium and cemetery. Taking advantage of both local farms and a growing number of potential customers The building on the opposite corner that is now an estate agency was formerly a dairy shop and door-to-door delivery centre for express dairies. This company grew into one of London's leading producers and retailers of dairy products from the late 19th until the late 20th century. It owned a model farm north along the Finchley Road near Henley's Corner. Its field and farm survive today. Now pause the audio tour until you are standing under the IN sign to Golders Green Crematorium on the right side of the road. Audio Tour Part 5 – Golders Green Crematorium and Mausoleum Look through one of the gateways at the large red brick complex. Visitors are usually welcome. Please respect the sensitivity of the whole site, particularly when a service is taking place. Burial customs needed to adapt as Britain's population was growing rapidly in the 19th century, putting pressure on both traditional belief systems and church graveyards in sprawling cities. Christian funerary practice was influenced too by science, culture and religion of communities around the British Empire, notably in South Asia, as well as increasingly secular views. After cremation became legal in the 1880s, the success of Britain's first crematorium in Woking, Surrey, encouraged the London Cremation Company to acquire a large greenfield site in North London. This Lombardic-style brick complex was built between the turn of the 20th century and the outbreak of the Second World War, as finances allowed, with some contemporary additions. The principal architect was Sir Ernst George with Alfred Yeats. The Gardens of Remembrance were laid out by William Robinson. Many of the architectural structures and memorials are listed as Grade II two or 2-star, two and the gardens are Grade 1. The crematorium is a secular, providing burial services for people of all faiths and none. As you may expect from Britain's leading crematorium, where more than a third of a million cremations have taken place, there's an impressive roll call of celebrated names, whether their ashes remain here or have been taken elsewhere, including Dame Barbara Windsor, the actor, who died in 2020, Peter Cook, comedian and satirist, who died in 1995, Amy Winehouse, the singer, who died in 2011, Sigmund Freud, psychoanalyst, who died in 1939, Alice Hargreaves, the eponymous heroine of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, who died in 1936, Sir Rudyard Kipling, author and Nobel Prize laureate, who also died in 1936. Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister, who died in 1940. Dame Millicent Fawcett, the suffragist, who died in 1929. Sophia Delop Singh, suffragette and daughter of the last Maharaja of the Punjab, who died in 1948. Anna Pavlova, the ballerina, who died in 1931. Bud Flanagan, the music hall and vaudeville comedian, who died in 1968. Peter Sellers, the actor and comedian, who died in 1980. Enid Blyton, the author who died in 1968. King Praja the sovereign of Thailand, who died in 1941. Now walk a little further along Hoop Lane and across the road on your left, look through the gateway into the cemetery. Audio Tour Part Six. Golders Green Jewish Cemetery. This part of north London is home to one of Britain's largest Jewish communities. Also known as Hoop Lane Jewish Cemetery, the burial ground across the road is maintained by a joint burial committee representing members of the West London Synagogue and the Spanish and Portuguese Jews Congregation. It opened in 1896 in what was then rural farmland. Founded in 1840 as Britain's first reform congregation, West London Synagogue is recognized as a pioneer of this major branch of Judaism. West London Synagogue had grown into a thriving community in central London's West End and by the late 19th century needed more space for burials. On the far side of the cemetery in Aldith Gardens, you may see the building of local reform synagogue, the North Western. A royal edict in 1290 had expelled all Jews from the British Isles. It was members of the Amsterdam Synagogue in the Netherlands who led a formal resettlement of England's Jewish community in the 1650s under the protectorate of Oliver Cromwell. The congregation's name, Spanish and Portuguese, refers to the heritage of many of these Jews from the Iberian Peninsula, also known as the Shepard, where Jews had been suffering persecution... Unforced conversion since the late 15th century. As a relatively open-minded, multi-faith trading nation that had recently fought successfully for independence from Spain, the Netherlands became a safer refuge for Sephardi Jews in Northern Europe. The Spanish and Portuguese Jews Congregation at first buried its dead in cemeteries in London's East End, the Velo and Novo, before buying a share of this larger plot from the West London Synagogue just before it opened. Notice how this cemetery is divided into two parts. On the west side, graves of members of the West London Synagogue are marked with upright stones. The east side, used by the Spanish and Portuguese congregations, a traditional Shepardi cemetery with gravestones laid horizontally, as burial grounds often were too unstable for an upright stone. It is customary for visitors to Jewish graves to leave a small pebble as an act of remembrance rather than leave flowers or other offerings. Just inside the gateway to the right is a wall with memorials to religious Gentiles, non-Jews, whose quiet bravery and concern, often at risk of their own life, ensured the safety of Jewish people during the Nazi era, whether it be a single person, a family, hundreds or even thousands. Notable people buried here include, on the east side, Nathan Saatchi, who died in the year 2000, father of Lord Morris and Charles, founders of Saatchi and Saatchi, and later of MC and Saatchi, two leading global advertising agency networks. On the west side, Jacqueline Dupre, the cellist, who died in 1967. Rabbi Hubo Glynn, Auschwitz survivor, rabbi and broadcaster, who died in 1996. Marjorie Proops, Fleet Street newspaper agony aunt, who died in 1996. Jack Rosenthal, the playwright, who died in 2004. Sir Stigman Sternberg, philanthropist and interfaith campaigner, who died in 2016. Sir Leslie Hoare Belisha, who died in 1957. Politician, ministerial sponsor of the eponymous road crossing safety beacon. Continue up Hoop Lane, the small pergola and garden on the roundabout ahead, comprises Meadway Gate, another example of a thoughtfully designed welcoming access point into the Hampstead Garden suburb. Cross back over Hoop Lane when safe into Temple Fortune Lane on your left and cross to continue on the pavement alongside the opposite side to the cemetery. Note the fine architecture and landscaping of the houses to your right along the south edge of the suburb. When you reach the driveway into 40-46 Temple Fortune Lane on your right, locate towards the back the no-cycling sign by an alleyway, locally called a twitten or a Snicket, that takes you uphill. When you reach the next paved road, Hampstead Way, cross when safe and continue uphill, passing a pocket park on your right. Carefully cross Willeyfield Way before taking a few steps to your right to the metal railing follow the Twitter up the hill, passing tennis courts on your left. Now, pause the audio tour until you emerge in Central Square by a stone plinth under metal arches. Audio Tour Part 7 Central Square Turn around to take a good look at your surroundings in all directions. This is the heart of Hampstead Garden suburb. It's village green, so to speak. Immediately in front of you, is a Portland stone block with a laurel leaf above the inscription in fond memory of Dame Henrietta Barnett DBE, 1851 to 1936, founder and inspirer of this suburb. Henrietta and her husband, Canon Samuel Barnett, were the guiding force behind the creation of this remarkable neighbourhood. More about this dynamic couple in a moment. Inspired by pioneers such as Ebenezer Howard's Garden City movement that created the first garden city at Letchworth in Hertfordshire in 1903 and the Cadbury development at Bourneville outside Birmingham, the Hampstead Garden suburb was conceived as a radical self-contained community combining the best of town and country lifestyles into a garden suburb for all classes. Briefly, implementation of a model garden suburb concept here was triggered by the advent of the Underground Railway that the Barnets feared, correctly, would encourage speculative development that may destroy Hampstead Heath, which they considered to be an essential part of London's green heritage, as Henrietta said regarding the proposed station nearby. It would result in the ruin of the sylvan restfulness of that portion of the most beautiful open space near London, The trains would bring the builder, and it requires no imagination to see the rows of ugly villas such as disfigured Willersdon and most of the suburbs of London. In place of such arguably brutal transformation, the Barnets and their supporters envisaged a scheme that would protect a portion of the Hampstead Heath extension, hand in hand, with a more sympathetically planned community. Let's take in several of the core buildings laid out around this hilltop plateau. First, the church with the spire to your right. This is St. Jude on the Hill, the Anglican parish serving Hampstead Garden suburb. Its distinctive spire is a landmark visible from many parts of northwest London, designed by one of the leading architects of the day, Sir Edwin Lutons. The church was consecrated in nineteen eleven and continues in use today. You are welcome inside when the building is open. The interior has several notable decorative features, such as murals by Walter Starmer. The father, Willis Organ, came from St Jude's Church in Whitechapel, where Canon Barnard had been a vicar. St Jude's is the principal venue in an annual music and cultural festival, Proms at St Jude's, that supports local good causes, as well as Toynbee Hall's youth programming in Whitechapel. Reminding us that the early 20th century was a time when faith was a more central part of many people's lives, to your left is another place of worship, also designed by Lutons and opened in 1911. The Free Church serves non-conformist Christian denominations and today has affiliations with Baptist and United Reform congregations. Its impressive interior is a contrast with St Jude's. Just off the square's northwestern corner, hidden from view at this location, is a third local house of worship, Friends Meeting House. Quakers have met here since 1913. Looking directly in front of you across the green space, we see the impressive architecture and cupola of Henrietta Barnett's school. Opened in 1912 to a design by Lutens. a school for girls was a core element of the community infrastructure envisaged by its founder, who was a strong advocate for women's education and welfare and after whom the school was later named. Today, it operates as a voluntary aided State Grammar School, performing well in annual league tables of exam results, and many of its 745 pupils progress to top universities and successful careers. This building was also home formerly, to an adult education institute opened in 1909, another important element of communal life. An updated school master plan with new extensions by leading contemporary architect, Sir Michael Hopkins, has been completed within the past 10 years. As you look around, note the elegant Queen Anne Revival style homes set around Central Square. Many were designed by Lutons before he became occupied with his master plan for New Delhi. Proceed to your right along the paved path that passes St. Jude's. Stop outside the first house on your right Which used to be the home of Dame Henrietta Barnett. Audio Tour Part 8 Dame Henrietta Barnett's Home. As the plaque explains, one South Square, in the heart of her suburb, was Dame Henrietta's home from 1915 until her death in 1936. This remarkable lady overcame considerable male resistance to her vision of creating this model suburb. Her ambition, had been shaped by her progressive upbringing and by working with redoubtable social reformer Octavia Hill, co founder of the National Trust and pioneer of social housing. After marrying Anglican curate Samuel in 1873, the young couple encountered deeply entrenched social issues and economic hardship among deprived parishioners in Whitechapel. After leaving Whitechapel, the Barnets lived in Heath End House by the Spaniards Inn at the top of Hampstead Heath. Sensitivity to the benefit of such essential open space nearby motivated her to protect it from what some saw as unsympathetic suburban development typical of the late Victorian Edwardian period. Leading urban planners, Raymond Unwin and Barry Parker, who had worked together to develop Letchworth Garden City, were brought in to design the master plan. Samuel died in 1913. Making her home on this carefully chosen spot, where she could enjoy a fine view across to Harrow on the hill, places Henrietta physically and spiritually at the heart of her greatest legacy. Follow the pavement around the square, turning right into Heathgate. Take care, crossing Meadway, and continue on Heathgate, towards the entrance to the Heath extension. You may be interested to know that you are now walking in the footsteps of young wizard Harry Potter on his way to his muggle-born friend Hermione Granger's parents' house, as seen with St Jude's in the background in the 2010 film Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Now pause the audio tour until you have reached the end of Heathgate, having walked between two wooden posts along the paved path and down some steps. Pause at the grassed area on the edge of the Heath extension and listen to Audio Tour Part 9, Heathgate and the Great Wall. Audio Tour Part 9, Heathgate and the Great Wall. The open spaces and forested areas stretching up the northern heights in front of you form part of one of London's historic heathlands that covers approximately 800 acres. Hampstead Heath extension and surrounding land used to be farm fields next to a wild heath, as we will discover later. Land was acquired in stages early in the 20th century from the trustees of Eton College and the Church of England to develop this garden suburb and, in turn, to be protected by the suburb's relatively low-impact development. Where you are standing is, as the street name suggests, another gateway into the suburb. Although it remains incomplete due to the impact of the First World War, this charming boundary, as it was called, is a handsome red brick barrier called the Great Wall. It was inspired by German medieval wall towns admired by Parker and Unwin. This scenic section is called Sunshine Corner. Ahead of you spreads out a rural landscape that is virtually unchanged since the 19th century. Follow the dirt path along the Great Wall to your right until you reach Hampstead Way. Then continue to your left on the pavement until you reach Heath Close. As you round the bend, note across the way an opening between two hedges. This is Wild Hatch, an ancient track that once connected with the path heading across the extension to your left. Now, pause the audio tour until you reach Heath Close. Audio Tour Part 10 Waterlow Court. Architecture of the rows of connected houses in Heath Close reflects Germanic medieval style. Note the harmonious addition of open balconies along this narrow side street. Although failing to anticipate the need for parking for motorcars located so near to public transport and bordering green open space, these handsome homes are still highly sought after. At the end of the close is an impressive looking entrance to Waterloo Court in the form of a lynch gate, a traditional gate covered with a roof often found on the edge of an English-style churchyard. It suggests a special place. Indeed, this block of more than 50 small flats around a monastic-looking arcaded quadrangle made of lime-washed brick was designed as serviced accommodation exclusively for single professional women. In a similar spirit, another develop in the suburb called Queen's Court was designed exclusively for working women. At that time, professional women were an emerging force in London's employment market and some people thought their moral welfare was to be protected by suitable single-sex living arrangements. For this reason, Waterloo Court has been described as an Adamless Eden. Later in the 20th century, as attitudes changed towards employment of married women, the community was opened up to men and couples. Shared facilities, such as the dining room and staff accommodation, were converted to additional living space. Designed by Bailey Scott in the arts and crafts style, using brick and timber framing, this model scheme was a development for the Improved Industrial Dwellings Company, IIDC, founded in the 1860s by wealthy printer, philanthropist and future Lord Mayor of London, Sir Sidney Waterlow. The Industrial Dwellings Company was active in several pioneering housing schemes in London, as well as being one of several private developers working with Unwin and Parker's master plan for Hampstead Garden Suburb. The landscape, grounds and planting scheme were thought to have been inspired by the noted garden designer Gertrude Jekyll. Original facilities include fruit trees and vegetable patches, lawns for sports and recreation and a bicycle shed, bicycles being a popular form of transport for independent minded women at the time. Now retrace your steps down Heath Close. Cross Hampstead Way carefully and proceed diagonally to the right across the playing field on the paved path that heads towards a line of trees. Enjoy the views, especially behind you towards St Jude's. As its name suggests, Gravel Heart sits on a bed of gravel probably deposited by glacial melting waters during the last ice age. Continue towards the first opening between two ancient trees until you reach the second gap. Take the gravel track to your right that leads uphill towards a small group of brick buildings where you will find toilets, a water fountain and a framed plan of the heath showing pathways and natural features. If you need a firmer surface, do not come onto the extension, but proceed on the pavement up Hampstead Way to the junction with Wildwood Road for part 12 of this tour. Audio Tour Part 11, Hampstead Heath Extension. Enjoy this beautiful countryside just four miles from central London as you proceed along the central gravel path up the slope towards the horseshoe at the top or south end of Wildwood Road. You are crossing a complex pattern of ancient forest and farmed fields. We shall reach one of the farmhouses shortly. Note the impressive houses and blocks of flats along both perimeters of the Heath Extension, especially in front of you on the east side. Today's playing fields and open spaces on the Heath Extension were cleared centuries ago from the native forest covering Hampstead Heath in order to harvest timber or to create animal pasture and arable farmland. There are several very ancient ditches, banks, lines of trees and hedgerows that are ghost traces of one-time boundaries. When farming declined, replaced by suburban housing and leather amenities ranging from football, frisbee, cricket and rugby, to horse riding and dog walking, certain types of trees, bushes and wildlife re-established their presence. Such a delicate conservation balance is managed these days thanks to staff of the City of London Corporation. Look out for trees such as Wild Service, various types of oak, beech, ash, maple, apple, elder and London Plain, as well as Blackthorn and Hawthorn. As you see on the framed map, you are offered several paths that take a variety of scenic routes up towards the Horseshoe at the top south end of Wildwood Road. Continue uphill you are passing fields with such evocative names as Upper Cart Field, Children's Enclosure Field, now a playground, where, up to the Second World War, locally grazed sheep were kept overnight in folds, and lower-wheeled pytle being an ancient name for a small piece of land enclosed by a hedge. The ancient landscape has borne witness to the ups and downs of our country's history. For instance... Extraction of commodities such as sand, gravel and timber for reconstruction after the Great Fire of 1666 or brushwood for everyday tools and firewood over the centuries. During the First World War, on the night of 8th September 1915, Zeppelin airship LZ-13 flew overhead on its way to delivering the first deadly strike on the City of London and, during the Blitz of the Second World War, These fields were a base for London's defences with barrage balloons, four 3.7-inch anti-aircraft guns, and soldiers' huts. Notice several small ponds that indicate the geology of the northern heights. Sand has been extracted, leaving dips that drain off rainwater that could be used to water livestock and horses. Wildlife abounds, and you may spot a heron from one of the ponds. Elsewhere along the heights, areas of sand and clay channel groundwater to emerge as springs that grow into no less than four lost, well that is to say, now almost covered over, tributaries of central London's mighty River Thames, the rivers Fleet, Tyburn, Westburn and Brent. As you approach Wildwood Road, you may spot a stone fountain dedicated to the memory of 19th century artist and local resident, Walter Field, Associate of the Royal Watercolour Society, ARWS. The fountain was erected by his sister Emily, a founder of the Hampstead Heath Protection Society and joint founder of the Heath Extension Council. As you approach the parked cars on Wildwood Road, you cross a dirt track laid out for exercising horses. You are leaving farmland and the Heath Extension and briefly also leaving the borough of Barnet and stepping into Sandy Heath, cross the road carefully and then turn right along the pavement until you reach a mud track on your left by the first house. Follow the path up the slope and round the bend, keeping the houses to your right. Stop in front of the last building painted white. Alternatively, you are welcome at this point to make a detour to explore more of the semi-wild Sandy Heath. Proceed to the left uphill along the network of tracks where you will discover natural delights including ancient and secondary woodland, heathland gauze and birds. Also ducks on iron pan ponds. These ponds are rare features that collect rainwater in gullies left by extraction where unusually high iron oxide content in local sand creates a natural non-porous crust preventing water from draining away. The far side of Sandy Heath is separated from East Heath by Spaniards Road. When you have finished your ramble, head back down the slope and rejoin the tour route. Now pause the audio tour until you reach Wilds Farm. Audio Tour Part 12 Wilds Farm. You are now on Sandy Heath, a large area of sand on the uppermost section of the Northern Heights and Hampstead Heath. The former farm in front of you gave its name to the estate, which is spelt in various different ways. Parts of the structure are believed to date back to the 17th century and, as the plaque says, was home in the 1820s to painter and engraver John Linnell. As Linnell's friend, the artist and poet William Blake, stayed here on several occasions, we may be sure, to quote Blake's famous poem Jerusalem, that his feet truly did, in ancient times, walk upon England's mountains green. Author and social reformer Charles Dickens also recovered here after the death of his beloved sister-in-law. Wiles Farm was the first parcel of land to be acquired in 1907 by Henrietta Barnett and her associates on the Hampstead Heath Extension Council. Eton College had held the land since 1449 shortly after the college was founded and had rented parcels out to tenants since the 17th century. In the 16th century a tenant called John Slanning felled several acres of trees to create cattle pasture with the result that now only a few hedgerow lines indicate the extent of the former woodland. Constructing the main farm buildings here as opposed to farther north on the large estate that eventually extended to modern temple fortune suggest access was from what is today North End, leading up to Hampstead Whitestone Pond, one of London's highest points. Incidentally, Wiles was one of the local farms supplying express dairies, as did the herd nearby on the grand estate of Kenwood House. Wiles was both home for St Raymond Unwin between 1906 to 1940, and the office in which he worked with Barry Parker as they laid out their master plan for the Hampstead Garden suburb. Continue to your left along the dirt track, noticing on your right a row of four red brick terraced houses with an official blue plaque showing that the 20th century architectural historian Niklaus Pensfer lived here. Emerging onto Wildwood Terrace on your left is another official blue plaque on the self-designed mid-20th century home of Michael Ventris, who helped decipher the ancient Cretan and Mycenaean script known as Linear B, the oldest known form of Greek. Now pause the audio tour until you reach the junction of Wildwood Terrace and North End. Audio Tour Part 13 North End North End is a 17th century hamlet, once populated by agricultural labourers Laundresses, who took advantage of pure local water and gorse bushes for drying to provide the service to inner city residents. Stretching ahead of you up the hill, North End Avenue is a grand setting bordered by lime and chestnut trees that lead into woodland and heath. The avenue was the main road from Hampstead until North End Way, now road, was constructed in about 1730. It is thought to have continued past Wilds then down its farmland, today Heath Extension, to join Wild Hatch and eventually on to Henton. In the 1760s William Pitt the Elder, 1st Earl of Chatham, who served as Prime Minister between 1766 to 68, convalesced from a breakdown as a guest of the owner of the Grand House that stood once in the garden of the modern pit house to your right. Turn right along North End. Now pause your audio tour until you have reached the junction with North End Road and have turned right to stop in front of the Bull and Bush Public House. Audio Tour Part 14 Bull and Bush. Claiming a licence back to 1721. This is one of London, even England's, most famous pubs. Some say that the 18th century artist William Hogarth, who frequented this alehouse, helped lay out the gardens. The bull in its name probably refers to cattle on the local farms. Set in the clean air and leafy surroundings of the heath, the pub increased in popularity in the 19th century thanks to railways that brought so many people to enjoy the leisure amenities of Appy Hampstead. Then, in the twentieth century, Australian born music hall star, Florrie Ford, ensured worldwide fame with performances of a song, with a saucy invitation to Come, come, come and make eyes at me, down at the old Bullen Bush. Da 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 Now pause the audio tour as you continue on the pavement into Hampstead Way, opposite Golders Hill Park. Proceed to the bend and locate a green door with the number 2 on it to your right. On the other side of the road, through the trees, you will see green metal railings in front of a low white structure. Audio Tour Part 15 North End Station Under your feet is one of the deepest sections of London's underground network. The CCEH Railway Company intended to open a station between Hampstead, 1736 yards away, and Golders Green, 1074 yards, to serve what was expected to be considerable residential development on the sites of Wiles Farm and Golders Hill Park. However, the prospect of a lucrative commuter revenue stream quickly vanished. First, a large plot of land was gifted to the nation to form Golders Hill Park. More about that later on in our walk. Then the Heath extension was saved from the level of development that had been anticipated. However, platforms and stairways to the surface had been constructed before the decision reluctantly was taken not to complete the station. The buildings you see are a secure entrance into a site that has been used at various times as a wartime deep level command centre, an operations room for London's flood control, storage space for records and an access point for safe removal of asbestos. Today, North End Station, also known as Bush, has acquired a new lease of life as a trivia question in quizzes and as a hidden secret Loved by connoisseurs of London's tube history and subterranean explorers. Now pause the audio tour while you retrace your steps to North End Road. Turn right and cross on the pedestrian crossing. Continue a few yards down the hill until you reach Ivy House at 94-96 to North End Road. Audio Tour Part 16 Ivy House. An elegant house has stood on this site thanks no doubt to its vantage point across once beautiful countryside. In the early 19th century, J.M.W. Turner, considered by many to be England's finest artist, is said to have stayed here and painted it. Between 1912 and her death in 1931, Ivy House was home to one of the great ballerinas Anna Pavlova. An international star who toured extensively, her home included a rehearsal space and there were swans on a pond in her garden that evoked one of the most celebrated roles in Fokine's Swan Lake. Pavlova danced with Nijinsky in Diaghilev's celebrated Ballet Russe and helped develop the modern ballet shoe. Her glamour and talent inspired many tributes, perhaps none more enduring, than the eponymous meringue-based creamy dessert that, it's claimed, was invented either by a New Zealander or an Australian chef. Pavlova's final formants in this country took place in Golders Green. More about that at the end of our walk. After her death in Amsterdam, her cremation took place in Golders Green crematorium, where her ashes remain to this day, in spite of an attempt to return them to Russia, her native land. Blue plaques on the side facing the road confirm her enduring presence, along with the memory of a previous notable resident, ophthalmic surgeon Sir William Bowman. After a variety of other uses and several years as the London Jewish Cultural Centre, today the buildings house St Anthony's School for Girls. Now pause the audio tour and retrace your steps up the hill and turn right through the gateway into Golders Hill Park. Audio Tour Part 17 Golders Hill Park. The car parking area and grass terrace to your left are the site of a grand house destroyed by enemy action during the second world war. The panoramic views are impressive. Here on the border of West Heath attached to the house were extensive gardens that had been carefully designed over the years by celebrated landscape gardeners Capability Brown and Humphrey Repton in the 18th century and Robert Marnock in the 19th. In the 1890s, the estate was acquired by a wealthy local benefactor who was chairman of the Pears Soap Company and generously gifted it for public enjoyment. Thanks to support from the City of London Corporation, the grounds are maintained as one of our loveliest local parks. A wide range of amenities provide something for people of all ages to enjoy. Grassed open spaces for picnics or informal leisure, sports facilities, a deer enclosure, a small zoo with birds, donkeys, lemurs and wallabies, a walled horticultural garden, a pine tongue, duck ponds, a water garden, a stumpery, sculpture, a cafe, A children's playground and a butterfly house, as well as occasional children's activities and music on the bandstand. Notice on top of the bandstand the weather vane installed in 2012 to commemorate Queen Elizabeth II's Diamond Jubilee. This may be an excellent opportunity to pause for refreshments or to use the toilets behind the cafe. Now pause the audio tour while you consider the following route options. Take the tarmac path down the slope, curving to the right past the walled garden and lily pond. For the shortest route, keep going slightly to the right along the path towards the tennis courts where the exit onto West Heath Avenue is located. To see the deer and zoo animals, follow the central path around to the left and then head to the right through the zoo until you see the tennis courts by the exit to your right. Alternatively, You are invited to make another optional detour to see the pergola and walled garden of Inverforth House that overlooks West Heath. This section of the tour adds a good 20 to 30 minutes. Reach this hidden gem by following the park's main path as it loops to the left past the deer enclosure. Exit onto the heath through a brick gateway next to where mulch is kept and composting carried out by the park keepers. Cross the first gravel path, continue ahead and bear right until you see on your left an impressive brick wall that surrounds the estate of Inverforth House, formerly the hill. Keep the wall on your left until you come to a gap between two large holly bushes with a track leading up to the wall. A section of the pergola is visible above. It's well worth going for a walk along sections of this surprisingly long hidden gem. After enjoying the pergola and gardens, retrace your steps down the hill, through the trees, back into Golders Hill Park. If you prefer a different route, head right towards North End Road and then down to the main entrance to the park where we entered earlier. After exiting Golders Hill Park by the tennis courts, Proceed down West Heath Avenue, then turn right into West Heath Drive. Continue to the junction with North End Road. Audio Tour Part 18. St Alban the Martyr and St Michael. St Alban's is the local Anglican parish church named after the first English saint who was martyred in the 3rd or early 4th century. Situated like a sentinel guarding one side of this main road into Golders Green, the solid brick building was designed in a modern Gothic style by Sir Giles Gilbert Scott. His legacy includes Liverpool's Anglican Cathedral, Battersea and Bankside power stations, and her iconic red telephone boxes, constructed in phases between 1909 and 1930 as a chapel of ease, a secondary church in a parish it is now Grade two listed. On the side closest to North End Road is a rare example of an outdoor pulpit used during construction to lead services and now used occasionally to preach to a very large gathering. In 1979, the congregation combined with St. Michael's to form the new parish of Golders Green. Future Bishop of Johannesburg and Cape Town a Nobel Prize laureate, South African theologian, anti-apartheid campaigner and human rights activist, Desmond Tutu, served this community as curate between 1962 to 1965. He relates with his trademark humour, memories of the relative freedom and respect accorded to him and his family in Britain, away from the discriminatory apartheid laws of that time in his native land. For instance, being addressed courteously by a London bobby and leading a service for a mostly white congregation. Originally site of the Anglican community's first place of worship, while its own church was being built from 1913, St Albans Church Hall generously shared with the incoming Jewish community as a prayer hall while Golders Green Synagogue was being built on Dunstan Road. Now turn around and look at the large white building across the street. Audio tour part 19, Golders Green Hippodrome. A sense of the scale of suburban residential development and transport connectivity conceived for Golders Green in the early days, reflected in this 3,000 seat music hall opened in 1913. It forms, with St Albans, a pair of impressive gateway buildings into the heart of Golders Green from the east. As we learned earlier, the ballerina Anna Pavlova gave her last performance in Britain on this, her local stage. Later, the Hippodrome was converted for use as a theatre, putting on plays going into the West End and a popular Christmas pantomime. The annual Gang Show was put on here by scouts and guides for many years. The BBC took it over as a TV and radio studio space and also made it home for the BBC Concert Orchestra from 1969 to 2003. Among its roll call of well-known productions, a few early episodes of the groundbreaking comedy series Monty Python's Flying Circus were recorded here. When its distinguished life as an entertainment venue ended, it became a prayer hall for an evangelical Christian community, then was taken over by a Muslim community, and is now the base for a global charismatic Christian megachurch based in Australia. Now pause the audio tour while you cross North End Road at the traffic lights and then turn left past the taxi rank to the junction with Finchley Road. Audio Tour Part 20 War Memorial The last item to bring to your attention is the four-sided clock tower in the road in front of you. This War Memorial acts as a strong focal point here in the commercial heart of Golders Green. It commemorates on a bronze plaque names of locals who died in active service in the First World War, the war to end all wars, that so affected this suburb while it was still taking shape, as it did the whole country. Two decades later, names were added of those who died on service during the Second World War. Our lengthy tour has brought us back to our starting point at Golders Green Tube, Bus and Coach Interchange. We hope you enjoyed this walk. Perhaps you might like to try one of the other walks in the Barnet Healthy Heritage Walks programme. Please visit our website www.barnet.gov.uk forward slash to find out more. If you would like to give feedback or comments or make a suggestion on the walk, please do get in touch. Details are on the website.